Uh, my name is Matt. I'm one of the pastors here, and it is great to see you all this fine winter morning. Well, what if we believed, I mean, believed that there was more than enough? There was enough time for both all the work you need to do and all the rest that your body needs. But there was enough praise and affirmation for every part of the success of your life. There was enough money for everything that you need, that there's enough love for your heart, enough, enough comfort for your mourning. What if you believe that there was enough energy for you to get done everything that you need to get done? What if you believe that there was enough connection for your loneliness, and enough forbearance for your quirks, many as they may be? What if you believe that there was enough security for your future, and if they really believe that there was enough forgiveness for your sins? What if we believe that there was more than enough? And what would it look like to live that way? Well, this theme of scarcity and abundance, of, of selfishness and of generosity are woven throughout the entire scriptures from the beginning to the end because it's a part of the reality of life of our very existence and experience. And, and Jesus believed, and we just heard it read there, we saw it in the, in the video, Jesus believed that there was a way to live without worry, which just seems like crazy talk if you really think about what he's saying. He believed that God was, was the kind of God that it woven into the fabric of the universe. There was a, a good host, as they said, a God who had prepared a place and, and, and provided abundance and sufficiency and enough. And all we had to do was actually believe him, trust him. It's someone like that that would say things like, just, just look, at, look at the ravens. Just look at the, just look at the, the lilies and you're going to be fine. Now, I imagine you probably know these verses if you've been in the church at all, if you've grown up reading your Bible at all, and you're like, yeah, I'm sorry, birds and plants have not helped me yet. At least not yet. Maybe today. Jesus is intentional here. He sees that the same overabundance that he sees in nature describes a creator who shows his generosity towards us. And it's this mindset that Jesus is describing that undoes the scarcity mentality that is crippling many of us, and myself included. The words of Jesus seem pretty, almost irresponsible. They sound like a hippie, right? Guys, let's just go and watch some flowers and, like, hang out with some birds and, like, everything's going to be fine. And, if, like, you should be high for that moment, too, it seems, like, if, if you're really going to let all things go, right? But it, do, it doesn't seem like the fitting declaration for an A-type temperament, right? Like, we've got stuff to do, right? We're hard-charging, get our, right? Well, some of us are and really enjoy that. And the rest of you, you do look at the lilies of the field. <laughs> and we love you, too. Yet Jesus is articulating with these words, he's, he's, he's not just trying to mess with us, though he is using some hyperbole in this. But he's trying to show us that there's a way to see the world that's, that's rooted in an entire narrative of Scripture about a generous and abundant God. 
That's why I chose this particular section out of the video. It's because this is how we want to begin to see. Imagine if you could, if, that, if this is how Jesus is walking around on the earth, and this is how he sees it in the midst of scarcity, he sees the kingdom of God still, and so he says crazy things like, don't worry. God's got you. Don't worry. Just look at the birds. Look at the, look at the grass. God loves you more than these, so don't worry. Now, Jesus is not, not immune to the reality that there are things to worry about, right? I mean, the, the Roman Empire is, is holding down his people and taxing them really heavily, and, and things are not, well, there's people illness, he's having to heal people that are broken right and left. So it's not like Jesus is immune to the reality that there are things that don't seem like they're enough. And yet there he goes, saying it as though he can see through it to another place, to another way, to another reality. How does he do that? And, and what if, what if we could see like that too? And is it possible that that's what Jesus is inviting us into? To believe that there's enough and in him that there's more than enough. Well, that's what we're going to spend the next three weeks kind of unpacking from a variety of different directions. Today, we're going to focus on the reality that there is scarcity. And what do we do with scarcity? Because sometimes it doesn't seem like there's enough and not even close to more than enough. So what do we do with this? Well, we're going to look at scarcity under three particular headings this morning. One is where scarcity comes from, how scarcity works, and what the antidote to scarcity is. So where scarcity comes from, how scarcity works, and what the antidote to scarcity is. Now, Jesus understands, and his understanding of, of creation is an expression of a God who has created with abundance. Jesus is thinking about Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, right, where God creates purpose and beauty out of chaos, where he plants a garden and he infuses in, a garden in the wasteland and infuses into this garden everything necessary, full abundance, the opportunity for thriving at every turn. One of the ways of thinking about the biblical storyline, there are many ways to think about it, many themes, but one of the ways to think about the biblical storyline is as a story of giving and taking, of God creating this wonderful world full of potential, and he gives it to humanity in order to rule with him through his wisdom, which is his definition of what is good and evil. And that's a story of humanity's desire to rule on their own, to take creation for themselves. God gives, man takes. And we see it from the get-go, right? Genesis 3, some of the most famous verses in the Bible. Genesis 3, 1 says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Now, now just notice here that there's the subtle undermining of God's generosity, right? He said, Really, you can't eat of any of the trees? 
And of course, Eve's like, no, 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 you misunderstand. The woman said to the serpent, we may eat of fruit from the, tree, from the trees of the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall we touch it, she didn't actually say, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Notice how Satan is just portraying God as not generous, not abundant, but as holding out on. There's a good, there's a, there's a knowledge that, that they don't have, that you don't have, Eve. Adam, you don't have this. He's, he's got good that he's withholding from you. And so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was a delight to the eye, and that the tree was to be desired or coveted, to make one wise, she took of the fruit and ate. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. And Adam and Eve, as the representatives for all humanity, are suddenly aware that there's something they desire, something they covet, and they take it for themselves. And from that moment on, scarcity is part of the narrative of every human being that's ever lived. And it goes bad in a hurry. Because one of the most natural ways in which scarcity manifests itself is in comparison. And we have in Genesis chapter 4, two brothers, Adam and Eve's sons, Cain and Abel. And we see, if you haven't read Genesis 4 in a little while, it says in verse 3, In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the first fruit of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. But for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, why are you so angry and why has your face fallen? Listen, if you do well, will you not be accepted? Will you not be exalted? Will you not be lifted up? And if you do not do well... Beware, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Cain is jealous and angry. Not exactly sure what it is about Abel's offering. There's lots of commentaries that talk about what it is about Abel's offering that was so delightful to the Lord in contrast to Cain's. But it seems like the affirmation is only for Abel. And Cain's angry. He says, it's faithful. He's, he's hurt. He's disappointed. His offering has not been received. He too wants to be regarded. And listen to what God says to him. He says, yes, I am showing, I am showing favor on Abel's offering. It is true. But what does he say to Cain? I know you're out of luck. See ya. No. He says, listen. God tells Cain, if you do good, if you do well, if you obey, you too can be exalted. Right there. That's the avenue. That's the opportunity. You too can come. You can experience exaltation. The opportunity to be regarded is right there for you. Instead, Cain chooses to take. He takes his brother's life, takes him out into a field, talks to him, 
and it kills them. First, murder. You ever thought about the way we talk about someone taking someone's life? We're made to be people who give life. And he says, you know, he says, where's, where's your brother, Abel? And he says, am I my brother's keeper? And the answer is yes. Right? Yes, yes, Cain, you are your brother's keeper. This is, this is, this is the way of the Lord. It's your life giving, your life protecting. And, and Cain is life taking. So God gives this gift and an opportunity and, and Cain takes Scarcity mindset is a comparison mindset. And Steve will hit on some of this, more of this this next week. But, um, but sometimes it's hard to see in the scriptures God choosing one over another, right? Well, just forget scripture for a second. Isn't it hard for you to sometimes see other people chosen over you? Maybe you have a sibling that you're like, yeah, she was always the pretty one or the smart one or the, the funny one. And, and I was the not that. How come, how come she got the thing? And how, or how come he got the promotion? And so, right, it, we see the gap, and it doesn't seem like the Lord is favoring us. And one of the ways to look at how God choosing one person to bless is that he's choosing to bless one in order that they, to exalt one in order that they might be a blessing. And what's, of course, if you think about the scriptures, it happens over and over, right? The opportunity for Cain, even in seeing Abel, is for him to be blessed. The opportunity for Abraham is God blesses Abraham. He chooses one, and he says, I, through you, I'm going to bless. So I'm going to exalt you. I'm going to make you a great name, and I'm going to give you a, a nation. And, but it's so that you're going to be a blessing. You see, with Moses, he chooses Moses, not because he's great, but because he exalts him over Miriam and, and over Aaron, right? And they both somewhat try to take his spot, but no, 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 he's exalted him to be a blessing. He has the Shekinah, no one else, that he might be a blessing. You see, with Israel, he chooses a people, right? That they might be a blessing to all the nations. He chooses David over all his brothers. And ultimately, he chooses Jesus, right? The firstborn for all of us. He is exalted that we might receive blessing. And so in an economy that's not a scarcity economy, the blessing to the other, to your sister or to your friend or to your coworker, if there is no scarcity and the kingdom of God is at hand, then their exaltation would be for your blessing. It's just that's not how it's worked out, is it? And so, well, scarcity means I need to take care of me. And that's what continues to happen in the biblical narrative, too. We see this pattern of people taking or, or, or taking out on other people, taking things into their own hands, defining good and evil for themselves. We see it through the, all the pages of the Old Testament. You see Abraham, right? God, God comes to Abraham and says, I'm going to give you a son. And he waits 10 years, and he's like, cool, thanks for the blessing. Thanks for the, uh, for the blessing. Thanks for the abundance. I still have no son. So I'm just going to take things into my own hands. And, and Sarah and I have agreed we're just going to have Tamar, and, and we're going to kind of take this servant and have her become kind of a wife, concubine, and I'm going to have a son through him, through her. And, and he does. He has Ishmael. And that's not the way of the Lord, right? 
after Abraham. You've got Rebecca and, of course, Jacob. And they, they want the blessing of the firstborn. And so what do they do? They deceive, right? I mean, Jacob's heel catcher. He's actually a deceiver. It's like right in his name. So he's just going to live it out. And he, um, and he goes in and, and dupes his blind father with his mother's encouragement, which is fantastic, um, to steal the blessing, to take the blessing as though there was not a blessing available to Jacob. Because you see, there's not enough. And of course, there's Joseph. Joseph's brothers are not unlike Cain, angry and jealous. And, uh, and, and by the way, there seems to be a shortage, right? There's the, the particular affection of Jacob is on Joseph. He, he makes him the special quote for, for him. And I'm not saying it's particularly good parenting, but, but he, does, he does do it, and he has a particular affection for them. And, of course, Joseph seems to have this particular connection with God, too, and he talks about it maybe in ways he shouldn't have wisely, you know, but, but he seems to have, and they, and they don't have. And so the affection of the father and the connection with God makes them jealous, and so they, they throw him in a pit and eventually sell him to Egypt as a slave. They take his freedom, almost take his life. As though there was not enough. Because there's not enough. Then you've got an entire nation with Israel that's rescued from slavery, that's um, given water, taken out into the wilderness, broken out of this powerful empire by miracles, just God's giving and giving and giving water out of a rock, rock and then then he gives them manna. And I think this is one of the most like subtle but most consistent realities to how we experience scarcity and how we don't believe God's goodness for us. He gives them manna, and which just means what is it? Because when it showed up, they were like, what is it? Um, I know, this is pretty cool, huh? The Bible has words. It just means stuff. Um, but... Um, this, this, and God says, listen, I just, here's, here's my good providence for you, right? My abundance for you. In the morning, you're going to wake up, and there's like this dew that's going to come on, and it's going to just turn into bread food stuff. That's kind of sweet honeycomb awesomeness, right? I'm convinced there's manna in heaven. We're going to be all like, can, I, can we taste the manna? You know, you get like the little scoop at the, at the ice cream store. Um, <laughs> but there's, um, and so, so they, go, they go out, and, and God just says, listen, only get what you need. Only get what you need. For your family. And here's what he says. He says, where am I? He says in Exodus 16, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. Each of them gathered as much as he could eat. Doesn't that sound like the kingdom of God? Everyone had, everyone had enough. The good host, the goodness of God is manifested. Everyone's got enough, except for a few people. He said, just get enough because you can't keep it overnight. And so people are like, why am I going to keep some overnight? And it turns into maggots, and it smells. Now, I, I can't imagine what that smell would have been like, but it must have been pretty rough. And God says, why, why don't you trust me? But then God does this kind of counter thing. He says, okay, but on the sixth day, the seventh day is going to be the Sabbath, so on the sixth day, you're going to collect twice as much as you need, Okay. And because you don't go out on the Sabbath. On the Sabbath, you trust me that in your rest I will provide for you because I am generous. I have abundance for you. And through this, you're going to be able to demonstrate to the world that I'm an abundant God if you'll follow me and trust me. And so they go out and they collect twice as much. And, and the next morning, guess what? It doesn't have maggots or smell on that particular day. And you would think everyone would be like, sweet, but no. There are some who go out looking for manna because there's not enough. 
God says, why do you not trust? Why do you put me to the test, he says? Like, it's, it's manna. No, it's not. It's life. You see, there's not enough. There's not enough. He's not really going to come through for me. can't really trust him. God gives, God gives a land, and on the, the first day of God's declaration that I'm giving you this bountiful land, he takes down Jericho after walking around, the Israelites walk around it for seven days, a.k.a. they don't do anything. The, all the walls collapse, and he just says, listen, this first city, Jericho, this first city belongs to me. I want to teach you something, that, all, uh, that the first fruits are mine, and I did all the work, and I just want to show you that all of these things I am going to do for you as you stand. And from now on, all the booty is yours, right? Except for Achan. It says in Joshua 7.21, this is what Achan says when he gets discovered. And I want you to listen for some familiar words that we may have read in Genesis 3. He says, when I saw... Among, see how I'm helping you? Among the spoil, a beautiful cloak from Shinar and 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels. Then I coveted them and took them. And that's just Genesis 3 all over again, right? There's not enough. There wasn't enough for Achan. He, he needed it today because he didn't know if he was going to get it in the next time. So maybe in AI there wasn't going to be a bar of gold for him, so he needed to get it now. It was, wasn't going to be enough. It's not enough. Now we have to square with the reality that sometimes there isn't enough, right? There are, ti- there are times, and there have been times, and so maybe some of your lives where you haven't been able to have a meal. There wasn't enough food. That doesn't happen to many people, especially in this context, in this culture, but it does happen. You haven't had enough money to pay a bill. We got something repossessed. Sometimes there hasn't been enough. And so we have to square with the reality of like, not, this is really nice, and I hear Jesus, and I believe him, but there, there, there are times where there just not seems like there's really enough. And so how can you say that there's more than enough? And how, how can Jesus say that? And how, how can that be the description of God? And so, so the, the scriptures hold this intention that there's, that there is tangibly abundance. And I just gave you a bunch of examples, and Steve's going to do more of that. Just saying, like, he's good, and he's for you, and he's got abundance, and he declares it and shows it. Sometimes it's just there isn't enough, and there is a shortage. And, and, and the scriptures hold this tension between the abundance of God, the, the, the Edenness of what God creates, where there is enough and abundance, opportunity to create for everyone, and there's also lack. And that lack is, the scriptures seem to hold the tension. The two arenas are mankind because we don't, we do go to our own wisdom. We don't go with this is good and evil according to the Lord. We we go our own way. And so when we go our own way, we take care of us. When we take care of us, we take care of us at the expense of you. And when that happens over and over and over, then you end up with injustice, right? You end up with hoarding. And so there isn't enough. That's not the way the world was designed. That's not the way in which God has built the economy of how all things are to manifest themselves. And so the manifestation of sin is sometimes there's not enough. There's people today who don't have enough because someone wants more. They don't think they have enough. And so they've got more than enough. Then there's also, there's also chaos. 
The fact that God, when he created the world, he created Eden as this very special little place where everything was absolutely in abundance. That there was enough, that there was enough for them and they were supposed to participate with God in spreading Eden beyond Eden. God started it, now he wants to co-labor with Adam and Eve in spreading Eden, the kingdom of God across the world. So go fulfill the earth, multiply, subdue it. Subdue it because it is not under submission. It is wild. There are earthquakes, and there are famines, and there are winds. So sometimes there's not enough because the earth is not subdued, has not been subdued. Sometimes there's not enough and it's just true. And we have to square with that reality and we have to square with the reality in light of what we know is true about God and to hold those in tension because the scriptures hold them in tension. But we can't just go and look at scarcity from a biblical perspective and say it's just, it's just those folks, right? Because it's true of us. It's true of you and me, right? It's very true of me. I, I genuinely struggle with scarcity. Uh, probably the way in which I struggle with scarcity the most is, is energy scarcity. It's not that I don't struggle with financial sc- scarcity and several other ways. But, but for me, it's, it, I, the, the greatest way in which I struggle with is, is, is energy. The idea that there is more energy needed from me than I have to give. That there's more needed, that, y- that y'all may want more from me than I have to offer. That my family's going to want more from me than I can give. And so I, I, I find myself living in this scarcity mindset that there's not enough, not enough energy. I'm not going to be able to get everything done, and so I have to now figure out a way to take care of me. And so as I was thinking through this, I was kind of thinking through, how does, how, does the, um, how does scarcity really work? And I thought of this, and I would have done a really cool drawing if I had the time, but I kept thinking about the idea of like a scarcity spiral. I don't know if it would have been cool, but the idea of a scarcity spiral, and I'm not sure that it actually is in this order. Excuse me. Um, it's always in this order, but I think these are all the pieces. And uh, so this is usually how it ends up playing itself out for me. That the first thing in the scarcity spiral is uh, I have an experience of scarcity. I know, it's pretty brilliant, right? <laughs> the beginning of the scarcity spiral is you feel scarcity. Um, no, it's true. Something happens, right? You have a conversation with your sister about the new car she just bought, and you're like, I hate her. You know, it's just, you're like, I, I, she, the, she has something I wish I had, and I'm feeling the lack, and the comparison is, is, is eating you up. Or um, someone has more. Someone's been able to do more. Someone's just returned from. And you have this, this, this moment, an experience of scarcity. Or it's, I don't have what I need, or I don't have what I want, which is usually where I go, right? It's like I don't think I'm going to have enough. Someone makes a phone call to me, I get an email, or, or like this week I got sick, and, and I love my grandson, but come on, man, snotty little booger. Um, <laughs> Haley's not here, so we're good. Um, <laughs> but like, so my throat's all sore, and I'm all swollen up and stuff, and, and like it saps my energy, and so I don't like that. So I experience scarcity. Step one, experience scarcity. Step two, and by the way, you're supposed to be thinking about you, right? Not just listening to me. Step two, I feel like there's not enough. So the experience of scarcity, and the first thing is it's not going to be enough. There's not going to be enough of me. I'm not going to have enough energy. 
I'm not going to be able to like, project my voice the way I want to. It's not going to be enough. This is a zero-sum game, by the way, right? So if there's plenty for someone else, it probably isn't going to be enough for me. That's usually how we think. And thirdly, I believe, and this is consciously or unconsciously, that somehow God's holding out on me. I experience a sense of scarcity, and I, I see that there's not enough. I don't think there's enough, and, and God's holding out on me. And usually the way, though, especially those of us who have a, an evolved theology, we know we, we can't say that God is wrong or bad, right? We can't say that because that would be against our theology. So we have this unconscious or conscious way of saying he could. He could keep me from being sick. Becky's not sick, and she's around that slobbery little kid too, you know? Like, so he could have kept me from being sick. He's, he's holding out on me. I, he, he could have kept that job for you, or he could have gotten, that interview could have turned into a job, and it didn't again. He's holding out on you. There's a, there's a good that he's holding out on you. And then we stop trusting that God's good. It ferments, and we start believing that he's not good. Not just he didn't choose to do something good towards me. He actually is maybe not good, and um, he's not for me. He's clearly for some other people, because I can see that happening, but it doesn't seem to be for me. He doesn't seem to care about me. Of course, some of that's because I've defined goodness as a manifestation of of just like whether it's a little bit more of, as uh, I think the, the, what was the quote from uh, John D. Rockefeller was asked, how much money does it take to make a man happy? He answered, just one more dollar. So just, all right, my sense of the goodness of God is maybe ju- just a little bit more, just not this, right? Just not this, just a little, a little less of this and just being above average, not, not just at average or, or below average. Just not this kind of shortage. So I stop trusting that God is good. And as I stop trusting that God is good, there's only one other option. I have to decide that I'm going to take care of myself. I'm going to take care of me. And, of course, we've got to see that over and over, right, in the biblical narrative. And, you know, that's true in your life, too. Some of the times where you've maybe gone and, like, wrecked your world is because... You decided to take care of you. Maybe some of the ways in which your world is working really well right now, but you're not connected to God at all is because you're taking care of you. And and it makes sense, right? I mean, can he be trusted? And is he really good? And is he for you? So how do I take care of myself? How do you take care of yourself? biblical characters, it always involves taking, right? And, and Jesus seems to point to two particular dynamics in the passage that we read this morning. First is, um, is prideful hoarding. I find fascinating that these, these two sections in Luke are, are back-to-back, which is why I put them together. But the section kicks off. You heard there's a man who's, Jesus is there, and I don't know what he's doing exactly, but a man says, hey, tell my brother to give me some inheritance. I mean, that just sounds like, there's not enough, right? Like, make it right, make it fair. Even it out. Jesus' response to him is basically, be careful that you're not covetous, which is not what he wanted to hear. And by the way, potentially those are some of the questions you've asked God, and he's been like, be careful that you're not covetous, or be careful that you're not, and you're like, that's not what I wanted to hear. Fix it for me, make it right, make it fair. 
right? So that's how the section begins. Take care, be on your guard of all covetousness. And then he tells the parable. He says, so let me, let me explain this. And Jesus tells the parable of the rich fool. Um, and he says in verse 16, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. I mean, is that not just like God provides abundance? First of all, he's already rich. You know this moment? Like he's already a rich man. And God's through the land, not the man, the land, which belongs to the Lord, produced plentifully. So here's this guy, who, he has much and he's getting more. There's abundance. Generous God. Verse 17, what shall I do, he says. I want you to just watch all the I do's, I will, my, just capture the, the essence of where this guy's at. He's taking care of him. What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods. Laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. And God says to him, fool, you have no more control over the number of your days than you do over the plentifulness of the crops that you are now trying to find bigger barns for. You responded to my abundance with scarcity, with selfishness and with hoarding, and I'm requiring your life tonight. I'm requiring it now. Like on, we're going to have an account right now. We're going to talk about evil and good today, according to my standards. He's hoarding. He's got barns, and he's going to just build bigger barns so that he can put more of his stuff in there. He's taking care of himself. This is why there's shortage. This is one of the things, right? And I know you're going like, I don't have barns at all. You know, I barely have a savings account. There's not really, you know, like. But how are you hoarding? Are there ways in which you're taking care of you by hoarding? And it, it doesn't have to be money, by the way. It's, I mean, money's the easiest thing. But anything that can be measured pretty much could be hoarded. As I say, I'll hoard energy. What will happen is someone, like I was talking about, someone will, like, reach out to me, and I'll, like, evaluate whether or not, like, I actually have the energy to give. And usually I'm like, I think I'm going to take a step back and maybe not offer it. I'm, I'm going to, like, I'm someone who has energy, right? I mean, like, I kind of everywhere I go, I'm like, woo like um, Not everywhere I go. Okay, not everywhere I go. Um, but, like, I, I tend to bring energy. And so for me to take a step back and to not offer that thing, which is actually a good gift from God, right, from the abundance of the Lord, is hoarding. I'm taking care of me instead of believing that if I choose to give this thing that's been asked of me, that there will be enough on the other side. Now, a lot of that re relates to responding to God and listening to him because God's not going to give you the energy for the things that he doesn't call you to do, right? That's a true thing. So there's a stewardship, there's a responding, all that's correct. But that's not usually our problem. Usually our problem is to say, I, I'm, I just need to make sure that I have enough for me first. And, and we're going to talk a little bit more about that as we go further. So I won't spoil stuff. So the first is hoarding, and some of us might be hoarding uh, because we won't say yes, and some of us, um, others of us end up hoarding because we don't know how to say no. And so we end up just not. 
The other thing Jesus points out is, is, is worry. And so I just, I'm curious about, I mean, we, the passage is pretty straightforward, right? Like, look at the, look at the birds, look, don't worry. So what are you worrying about right now? Like, what's, what's, what was on your mind this morning as you woke up? What's the thing that's kind of just weighing right now? Is it your kids? Is it, is it a financial concern, a financial worry? What's the, what's the weighty thing? Like, we had a couple minutes, and I was like, hey, so what's the weighty thing? Like, what's the, what are you actually anxious about? What is it? Because, you know, if you're, it seems like if you're just going to take this passage, it's like Jesus is saying, just stop it. <clears throat> right? I mean, it's, the, uh, the clear reading of the passage is, yeah, so just don't do that anymore. Because you're, you're good father, it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. So don't, don't worry. Now, I don't know about you, but like some stuff I was worried about this week, and of course, you know, I'm reading the text, and I tried to just like, stop worrying, you know, and it, it didn't work. So it, it does, it's not simple enough to just go, don't, it won't work. Um, I tried it, didn't work. Um, but Jesus gives us more stuff to, 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 to work from, from this. Um, but I do need to say, and this is, I think, an important declaration for you, and there are, there are the anxious people, you Enneagram 6 people or whatever, you know, like, you know what I'm talking about, like, you live there. Um, this is, I'm going to just say this because I think this is really important for us to hear, um, that worry is the most actively unproductive activity that we can participate in. It takes a ton of time, emotional energy, brain space, and it accomplishes absolutely nothing. I mean, absolutely nothing. Now, I'm not saying it doesn't feel like you're accomplishing something. I'm not saying that's not, you do feel like, but that it's accomplishing absolutely nothing. It's exactly what Jesus is saying. He's saying, listen, you can't add an hour to your life, which you have lots of hours, so you can't even add one little click over on your life what in the world are you doing worry? Like, you have no control. Like, it's an illusion. You have no control. So why, why are you worrying? You see, it's an, it's an illusion. God's the one in control. So do not worry. It, it'll take care of you. See, look at the birds and, and look at the flowers. And you're way more valuable than that. Bottom line is this, the scarcity is a gap that we must either fill with him, with trust, or with ourselves. There's really no other option. If I'd figured out any other options, if the Bible shows any other options, I'd give them to you, but that's all you got. You're either going to fill scarcity with you or trusting him. And that's what the parable's talking about. Points to the good father. Points to the one who's created abundance and has abundance to give. Uh, so antidote to scarcity. How do, we, how do we get this in? How do we not just, okay, so stop being worried or stop hoarding? Well, I think there's, uh, there's something fundamental and foundational to rehearse, and I think there's uh, something transformational to do according to the passage. Something foundational to rehearse um, is verse 32. I already read it to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Fear not, fear not, little flock. Fear not, little flock. For it is your father, not your God, not your, it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom, 
to give, not to take from you something, but to give you something because he's a God of abundance. He's a generous God, and so he wants to give you the kingdom. So fear not, little flock. This is your rehearsal. You rehearse that in your soul a hundred times. That's the rehearsal that I've been working on. It's okay. There is no fear because I have a father who's good pleasure. Like what makes God happy, what makes God joyful, what gives him joy and pleasure is to give you the kingdom. C.S. Lewis says, he who has God and everything else has no more than he who has God only. He who has God and everything else has nothing more than he who has God only. Okay. It is well. So that's something to, as, something to foundational to rehearse and now something transformational to do. Verse 33 and 34 are maybe some of the active dynamics. So sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure that in heaven that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That's obviously, it's, there's a lot to unpack in that verse. We're not going to do that. What, what Jesus is saying is, be imitators of God. He's, he's generous. He, he takes of what he has, and he's a giver, not a taker. And so take of what you have and give, it says, to the needy. The needy is the lowest person, right? The person who cannot give to you. They take from you, but they can't give to you. And so be like God and, and look out into the world. And the video has great little moments there where it does the thing like helping someone off the ground. And, you know, it's a video. But it's... It's that kind of practicality. Like, give of yourself to those who don't have and, and believe that because of who I am, as you imitate me, that, that amazing things are going to start happening and you'll be putting treasure in heaven. And you know what that means? You'll be less concerned about you. One of the, antidote, the antidotes, <laughs> the antidotes um, to scarcity is, is generosity, is, is giving of yourself. And again, think more broadly than just financially. I was talking to someone, they're like, you know, it actually for me, it might mean, in light of the fact that I have road rage issues, it might actually mean being generous and letting people in. What if that sh my mindset changed? I just start letting people in, believing that there's enough room, that I'm not going to miss out on something. It's down into that place, right? God wants those places in your heart. He doesn't want just want the big stuff. He wants, because those are the big things, right? You start surrendering those pieces and start giving of that, and next thing you know, you're not hanging on anymore, and it, you're looking at the birds, and you're like, ah, I get this. One of the uh, moments we were talking about this in the preaching team, and we read the passage, and one of the guys said, if this passage is true, it changes everything. Initially, I was like, okay, well. And then the more I thought about it, if this is true, it changes everything. Like, he's that good. He has those kinds of desires for you. It should change everything for us. And I believe it can over time, right? Not overnight, but over time. And one of the ways in which you do that is, is by coming to this table. Because this, too, is a gift. God's a giver. And the, the ultimate gift, the way in which we know that's, that God plus nothing equals everything, is Romans 8. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? 
Verse 32, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? This is what, this is what the table is talking about, right? This, this meal is that, that God didn't spare Jesus for you, oh little flock. And so how will he not also give you all good things? He's a generous God. He didn't withhold that which was most precious to him. That's how you know you can trust him. Every time it goes back to, if Jesus died for you, then you know that you must be precious, valuable, significant to him because he is the most precious, the most valuable, and the most significant thing in the universe. And he did it for you. And that's what we celebrate at this meal. So, so if you belong to Jesus, this is a meal you come and you receive, right? It's a gift. You're receiving it. You don't take it. You receive it. Um, so I'm going to pray. I'm going to invite you to come and take your worry and take maybe some of the things you're thinking about hoarding and take them, bring them here and leaving them as you take the cup and as you take the bread. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you're a God who... Um, has more than enough for us. And um, there are ways in which we are still learning to see how that works and to see it play out in our life. And there's probably things we need to overcome. But we want that to be a truer reality in our life. We want to see like Jesus sees. We want to see in the midst of the scarcity of the world, the clarity of your kingdom, the clarity of the way in which you've put the world together for it to be beautiful. And, and one day, eh, we won't have to look through a glass darkly. It will be face to face. It will be crystal clear. And the total abundance that you have in store for us will be something we will receive without ever missing a beat. And that's what we want to ask you. Come, Lord Jesus. But until that day, we want to take this meal and we want to receive your grace and we want to thank you. We want to live with gratitude. So we pray these things in Christ our Savior. Amen. You belong to Jesus. This is your meal. So come and receive the grace of Christ.